Hello, everybody. Welcome to Remedish TV. Really pleased to have you with us tonight. Um, and we wanted to be joining in as well, because we're talking about a really interesting subject. We're talking about social justice, particularly as it relates to mental health. So let me hand over to Dave before we get going so that we can really think about how you guys join in with us. Dave? Hi, yeah. Thank you, Nikki. Hi, everyone. As always, it's great to have you joining in tonight. And there's a couple of really easy ways where, how you can join in uh, to the conversation. So the first one is on the Facebook live chat. Uh, so next to the video, there's a space where you can write your comments or your questions, your thoughts. Uh, and obviously, we'll try and bring in as many of those as we can tonight. The other option you've got is on Twitter. And all you need to do is to include the hashtag MHTV. We'll see all of those tweets. And again, we'll bring those into the conversation. But without further ado, straight back over to you, Nikki. All right, so let's introduce our fantastic guest tonight. So first we have Jamie. Jamie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, good evening, everybody. My name is Jamie Comer. I'm a lecturer at Brighton at the University of Brighton um, in mental health nursing. Um, one of my areas actually that I'm very much interested in is people's uh, development. So this subject is quite, it's really close to my heart. And uh, one of my roles as well is in student recruitment as a, as an admission tutor. So I do participate in certain activities to ensure widening participation in our recruitment processes, which is also a policy for our university. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for meeting Thank you. you all. Yeah, absolutely. Lucy? Yeah, hi, um, I'm a colleague of Jamie's. I work as a lecturer at the University of Brighton. Um, this subject, for, for me, I suppose first spoke to Nikki about it, was it about um, a year ago, maybe, um, thinking about social justice in terms of mental health nursing. And my specific um, part that I play is in with our third year mental health nursing students. And we think about specific groups um, in relation to protected characteristics and the Equality Act and social justice. So I'm really happy to be here and talking with you. Absolutely. And last but not least, Warren. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Warren Stewart. I'm also a senior lecturer at Brighton. Uh, I think you probably guessed that we all work together. Um, I'm a module leader and uh, have a couple of other little roles within the uni. Um, from a practice perspective, I, I uh, hail from a nursing and justice background. That's kind of a little, another kind of justice, I guess, but we might get on to that. And um, again, in, in year three, I work with students to stimulate critical critical thinking, critical discussion, uh, critical reflection, and um, that very often relates to social justice issues. So uh, 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 as, as per Lucy, I think that's kind of uh, where we might lead to. Definitely. So I guess the first thing to do would be to actually get a real handle on what we mean when we're talking about social justice. So does anyone want to jump in on that one? What do we mean by social justice? I think um, we have, yeah, go Jamie. Um, for me, what social justice stands for or what it means, I mean, it's a broad, broad area. Mm. But for myself, what I actually align it with is fairness in the society, wherein everybody has the chance, uh, the opportunity to live their life in a very good, uh, in a very good way or in a manner that they will want to live their life. Uh, wherein they are not disadvantaged in any way by certain norms or barriers that are created within the communities that they live. Do you want to add to that, Lucy? It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I was, yeah. I, I think um, for me, for me, often, particularly in in terms of mental health and mental ill health that that people experience, I think. Uh, much of social justice is around the very micro stigmas that people experience and discrimination um, on a very um, minutiae level in in day-to-day -day living. So I think for mental health nursing, we're often thinking about social justice and how it impacts on us minute to minute sometimes, hour to hour in our daily lives. And that that be... Um, when we're at work clinically and also in the educational setting where we work. Yeah. Can I, can I give an example of that? Just to bring it to life a little bit of a social justice issue that particularly impacts mental health. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I guess. Let me th- if I'm thinking, say, for example, about um, access to transport in rural communities, uh, rural communities, we're, we're Sussex. Sussex is one of the biggest counties in the UK. And we have a, a big rural community where um, a, a major disadvantage, particularly for young people, is around accessing um, city centres, town centres, uh, social spaces, school spaces. And the frustration and the the tension that can come with lack of access to transport is a very um, uh, for, for people who live in cities sometimes that, that um, don't always notice it. But it's the the not noticing of the um, adversity that certain groups of people face or experience every day. So that's an example. Um, particularly, I'd say in relation to COVID, is a, is a uh, we can't really ignore COVID, can we? And the impact that that's had on isolation as well. So, uh, yeah. You said two or three things that really bounced out. So the first thing is that privilege of not noticing. Yes. You know, and that's really, I think, key to it. So sometimes it can feel really uncomfortable when people point things out um, about yes. certain advantages that certain populations have or disadvantages that others experience. And you, you sometimes see people almost feeling personally attacked by by something when you point out advantage or disadvantage. But I think it's really important for us to just keep a real understanding of the fact that, you know, these issues are structural issues a lot of the time, such yes. as transport links, such as actual physical access to services. Yes. So not only do you have like the other issues, so social and psychological stuff that sometimes pushes people away from services or pushes services away from people, but um, you've also got this kind of like physical things that maybe people in cities who have access to underground buses, trains, all that sort of stuff, and maybe don't think about it, don't see. And and I think one of the things that's really important for us as nurses, particularly in mental health, is to make sure that we see from other people's perspective. And it requires work, and it's hard to do sometimes. It's a bit knackering, honestly. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think I'd... talking to people, isn't it? Hmm. No, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say I completely agree. It's, you know, half, half the battle is is sur- surfacing the issue, so making people aware of it, and then you can take things from there. I mean, you know, going going back to how we might define um, social justice, I think there's, there's, there's certainly um, uh, issues around exposing and, and bringing attention, shining a light on, on specific issues and broader issues. Um, and, and most of those issues will probably re- refer to issues around oppression of some kind or another. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, as educators and, um, you know, hopefully we are stimulating our students to do what they can to bring about some some kind of social change on, on the basis of, of that awareness, if that makes sense. So so Lucy's example is a is a good one. Yeah. Why do you think social justice is so is so important? Because when you guys have all taken a stand around this issue. So why do you think it's so important for men? mental health we're going to talk about it in terms of education in a moment but why is social justice important to mental health and well-being i i think that we um when we're having distressing experiences for example when our thoughts are challenging us or the our thinking is challenging Mm. us or we have a very embodied experience of um a low mood for example a depression or a psychosis or a disturbance of sensory disturbances. Often, uh, and I, this isn't new information, you know, this is, um, we talk about embodied trauma, we talk about um, the embodiment of uh, where power has as exercised in our life or where power has been in our lives and how we hold that, how we hold that in our bodies and in our psyches. So in terms of mental health, I think, we have to, if we just look at, for example, the national, the confidential inquiry into suicide and self-harm um, with, I'm um, just thinking about, well, if we talk about suicide and working age men, for example, and the types of injustices, social injustice that that, that men of that age may face, for example, loss of employment, um, loss of sometimes a, a loss of relationships when, when children are older, um, the the different the services that aren't around for that specific group of people, um, the lack of social contact often um, from from working and then so so 
I hope that's a good example, but thinking about that, what sort of injustices happen for people in uh, for different groups of people at different times across the lifespan, which obviously in nursing is is where our interest is, is how we take care of people across the lifespan. I've got a nasty habit of interrupting you, Nikki. After you. No, I was about to say, does anyone want to add anything to that? So go on, please. Yeah, I yeah, I think I would. I, I mean, I, just to support those comments, you know, we are talking about possibly the most excluded group in society. And, Ooh. you know. Have we lost Warren? We have, just he was about to say something too. Yeah. Uh, I think for us. Democratic, democratic society, then it's... it's mm. It's, it's every bit as important as learning clinical material, I would say. Mm. Can you repeat it again? Because you froze a little bit there. Oh, uh, how far do I go back? I was just saying that, you know, <laughs> in, 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 in the interest of promoting a socially democratic mm. uh, society, um, you know, it's, it's part of our role to, you know, empower our service users as, as best we can. We, we know they're, they're a very oppressed group um, as a, as a generalisation of yeah. yeah, I think we're looking at multiple issues too, aren't we? With things like race and culture and poverty. Um, I think Jamie, you were about to come in there for a second. Yes, I mean the other aspect of that is in terms of mental health. We we most we most often say it is something that you don't see, and people have to be able to kind of tell us about their experiences and mm. what they are going through. So you can find out that in some situations, we do have this group that still experience some levels of stigma, and most of them are really aware of that. And sometimes they are not able to come and tell us their experiences, let alone mm. really ask for services. And in, in a sense, some of them are actually kind of deprived quietly in silence. And in mental health for ourselves as uh, mental health nurses, as TIM, a registered uh, mental health nurse, is when you meet people, it's about listening to those experiences and what they are going through and how sometimes you are able to minimize that deprivation of information for them and be able to actually work with them uh, very well in a manner that um, you, you are able to kind of working there in the sense that they are able to reduce some of the injustices that they are facing. But it is there, even though we are now in the 21st century, some of them still experience um, levels of stigma. And the work that was done by Time for Change or Time mm -hmm. to Change, I think that is now being, being stopped because they were doing a lot of surveys about what this group really experienced in terms of what the general population experienced, things like easily going out or meeting people, which they were not easily able to do. And that work is being stopped because it was being sponsored by, I think, the lottery funds. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a very good resource for us to understand or for that group um, to have, for us to be have been able to reach that group and be able to understand um, those forms of um, stigmas that they were facing. Hmm. Interesting that that there's something so key, something so vital, such as don't take a population who is sick and make fun of them, exclude them from participating in society, and that's funded on lottery money, like money that can just go up and smoke. There's no strategy for making sure that everybody shares equally in society. I find that was really troubling. I mean, it's great to have lottery money, isn't it? Because it's better than no money. But there is something about what we choose to pay for and what we choose to think of as an added extra. So like mm -hmm. fairness as an extra is a weird idea. Yeah. Not a very fair idea, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So what about, what, what do you think your role is as nurse educators then in, in talking about and, and, and role modelling some of these issues around social justice? Which we'll come to all of you to talk about that one because it's quite a big one. Yeah, like to I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about... Um, how we work in our third year. We, we think together about um, the, multi, the different adversities that um, people have in connection with inequalities and social inequalities in particular. And we ask students to 
focus on specific groups. And the example I gave earlier was of, of um, working age men. So we might, it may be um, people at risk of homelessness, vulnerably housed uh, people, homeless people, and to, to read around um, the very specific adversities that, that we know that those groups face. But that's not really enough. Um, we need to embody, um, we need to experience the listening that Jamie was talking about earlier, li really listening to the experience of people um, that are not like us always or never. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all so different. So how do we really listen? And so how at Brighton, what we've done is um, we've set up a group, a closed group for mental health nurses in third year where we practice sitting together um, in a meditative space and noticing so a mindfulness practice really but really sort of um going quite deeply into who we are as individuals but in silence and then sharing and noticing the diversity within us within our group and how we can sit with that and that's so that's something that we we've done to try and think about how we work with um social justice in practice and then think about how we transfer that knowing that embodied knowing to our practice, uh, to our nursing practice across all many different organisations, as we know. Yeah. What do you mean by embodied knowing? Because I'm sure there are people watching tonight who are like, is it better than ordinary knowing? What is it? Tell us a little I don't bit think it's it. better than ordinary knowing. I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an important, but noticing in our um, bodies, how, uh, when, you, when you're mentalising, you know, the practice that mental health nurses have where, um, you're trying to understand where you're coming from and you're trying to understand that the other person is coming from somewhere different and that space between us, you know. And our bodies sometimes can tell us um, how we're feeling about a situation. Yeah, So we may feel slight tension in our chest or uh, we may feel nervous or our hands may shake or um, we may, you know, we may have a tension in our stomach, but it can tell us quite a lot about how we feel about what's happening in the moment. And does that answer your question, Nikki? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it as a phrase, isn't it? Because we get taught that, that knowing is all about what's in your head, but actually it's what's in your heart, it's what's yeah. in your experience, it's what's um, happening between you and the other person. There's an interpersonal dimension to it as well. So there's lots of yes. different ways that we can know and understand things. And yeah. I think in mental health, we're wise to pay attention to all of them. Yes. And Margaret Archer would uh, allude to uh, our emotional state, sh sh showing how we truly feel about a situation. So noticing our actions. I feel like he's saying things are really important as well. Warren normally does. <laughs> I guess maybe we yeah. could come to you, Jamie, to talk a little bit about it until Warren comes back. Yes. The role of nurse educators are in social justice. Yes. Um, I mean, I do participate in, in um, Lucy's um, work as well in that model. Reveal we how, we, how we truly feel about us. Uh, Carry on, yes. Jamie. Yes, so I participate in, in Lucy's module as well. And but one of the areas that I have been actually able to work with um with that with that approach in terms of looking at widening participation is through the admission processes. I mean, we've talked about it, and it's only not just my own work, it's the work of the admissions office and all the administrators around it. So what happens is if we receive uh, an applicant who is within the WP demographics, it is actually indicated there. So what we do is we have to look at that application in all forms in terms of if we have to look at rejecting that application, we have to, it will have to be the very last resort. So what we do then in an application like that, if I'm looking at an application like that, we have to look at, for instance, there may be a lot of, um, they may have, um, they may not be, have been able to actually give a focus of their 
in their personal statement about why they want to come and study our course. So I will look at that. And what I've been, we've been able to do is we can call that individual and talk to them. And sometimes listening to them, they are able to give us the voice to what is in that paper. So sometimes the written part of it may not give a lot of voice to us. So I will call that individual or I will arrange a meeting with them. And that meeting may be by what means they want to talk to me. Some people are not always wanting to come on the camera and we respect that. And we have that even in our among our student groups who don't easily just come on the camera. They can prefer just to talk to you on the phone. So talking to that individual on the phone and explaining to them and then uh, kind of inviting them to the interview when they come is what one of the aspects that we do. And sometimes we look at also the qualifications for entry. We've been able to review most of our uh, entry qualifications, including now we've included the T levels, uh, which has also, which will be starting as well, which have also already started because there have been a group that has started in that process. And uh, we also have um, apprentices. And we also have uh, registered those degree associates mm. in that group. So um, for myself, even before the interview, sometimes when I look at such an application, I will call the individual the mm. date before their interview. And mm. most interviews does not necessarily have to be a question after question interview. Sometimes it's about listening to people's experiences mm. And you'll be able to understand their desires mm -hmm. and their inspirations from what they are telling you. So mm -hmm. we've been able to build those flexibilities and to enable us um, to use the approach of widening participation in our areas um, and in the neighboring uh in the neighboring counties, as well as when we receive applications all over the world. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about widening participation, what you what you're talking about is making sure that um, people from a wide range of backgrounds have the opportunity to go to and access university education. Mm -hmm. And in the past, that hasn't been true. And even now, there's still some significant barriers. So I guess some of the stuff you're talking about is this idea that not everybody gets the kind of encouragement or has had the kind of encouragement from from school to even apply. I mean, yes. I went to lots of different schools, and I can remember. We, we had people in my year who were given a choice of the army or the local factory. And, and that's so unacceptable. But there were, I think one of the things that you're really noticing and one of the things I think is so encouraging about the work that you're talking about is actually looking to see people's potential, following up on it, saying, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've put in this information. Is there anything else you can tell me that would help me make a good decision about whether you should come on the course? The idea about following people up and valuing them is really important. Because not everybody understands how to fill in forms. Not everybody understands how important it is to give as much detail as possible. You have to have that told to you. Yeah. And some people just don't have that information told to them. And they would make the amazing nurses. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes the forms can be a barrier to certain people. And we have to understand that process too. Yeah. And trying to make it not, on, not kind of watering it down but mm -hmm. it is also making it accessible for them to be able to do that mm -hmm. and when we talk of when we talk of um and the 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 access access also doesn't just stop there it's really when they are with us as well mm -hmm. because we have various monitoring or mentoring facilities mm -hmm. within our causes as how we work with students um, who are in that group who may want for the, for instance, if I'm a personal tutor for a student, I will tell them that, you know, if you have certain problems, I am here, be open with me. I'm a registered nurse. I practiced for nearly 18 years in the NHS. So that will help me mm. kind of know how many times I can meet with them and how mm. many times they can say, I want to talk to you today. And I can say next hour, I will be available for you to talk to me. So these are all flexibilities that we have in our work mm. uh, yeah. with our students as a mental health nurse mm. and as an educator. Those are the kind of things I will encourage people um, to participate in if they are able to do that. <laughs> Brilliant. But you're right. Nobody's born knowing how to fill in a form. You get taught it, don't you? And to get yes. judged on not being able to do it before someone's taught you, it seems very unfair somehow. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'd like to come back to Warren now because I'm aware that every time you, you start saying something, we're all leaning in, then you freeze. So <laughs> don't do it anymore because we're all desperate to hear what it is you've got to say. So tell us a little bit about um, nurse education and social justice. Yeah, I suppose um, I suppose we all have a slightly different role in the course, and um, I think uh, it's been it's been quite a privilege, I suppose, that um, I've I had a lot to do with the year one students to start off with, and. As my experience has grown, I, I find myself working with the third years more now, I suppose. But uh, in year, year one, suffice to say that the students are introduced to various uh, theories. Uh, we talk about theories of power, labelling theories, etc. Kind of all, all the classic theories, uh, and also reflection. And then, and then, kind of rather like a spiral in a spiral fashion. Uh, by the time we get to year three, um, so. I guess there could be a kind of a graded or escalated process between reflection, reflexivity, critical reflection. Well, each of those processes has their sort of values and so on. But um, by year three, I think my point is we're kind of hoping and expecting the students to think critically with the use of theory. Um, so, uh, so yeah, they're brought together in small groups um, to yeah engage in reflective dialogue uh, and writing and um, to, to really just pick a subject that's bothered them, you know, what's the stone in their shoe about, about a, a service user or a, an element of the service or an area of oppression or social injustice. And uh, the idea being they, they, they get to reflect on that using theory and using the various tools that are at our disposal. So I'm sort of thinking about sort of double loop reflection, uh, which gives us that extra wheel to, to draw in theory and use that in our, in our critical thinking. Or, or maybe the Burrell um, uh, and Morgan's map, if you come across that, but again, it's very helpful to be able to help us articulate what we're thinking. Sometimes we don't always have the words for it. Uh, but yeah, this valuable process of sort of putting theory with critical reflection, you know, can really can produce results and change in individuals. And, um, mm. you know, it helps us to see, yeah, see more clearly sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's it, when you're working somewhere and you're immersed in, sort of ways of practice and group processes it can be really hard to sort of see what's right or wrong um but um yeah again attending to our, our ourselves our bodies our emotions reactions in others as well these are all ways that help us to prompt us to think about um these issues more deeply and hopefully move our practice on if you like so so yeah i think uh, that that's one one of the uh yeah sort of, sort of blend of approaches that i've been involved with that I think really does help students to 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 see see differently and act differently as well. I don't think you can change unless you take time out specially to think about it. And one of the things about reflection that's so interesting is that if it's done well, it should result in action. Mm. Yeah, people are always just going around in your head. Well, no, it's not. You missed out the last step if that's what you're doing. Mm. But let's come over to Dave now because I can see questions pouring in. So brace yourselves, panel. <laughs> Yeah, Nikki. Uh, hopefully I'm not going to miss any, but I, it's a hard task. Uh, the first one from Debbie Ridley. Uh, it was just, uh, hi everyone, this is the first time I've actually been able to watch it live. So that's obviously lovely. Hi Debbie. Uh, obviously you don't have to watch it live. Anyone that misses an episode can get it uh, through catch up on our different uh, podcast and uh, stream channels. Uh, then the next comment was from Ben. Uh, long-time listener, uh, and he's asked quite a, a kind of a, a, an important question. In this country, there are 100 people with learning disabilities who have been locked away for over 20 years in institutions. Why do you think people with a learning disability and the injustices they face get so little solidarity from social justice campaigners? Mm. So I don't know if anyone feels they've got any views to share on that really knotty issue. I, I, well, sure, I'll say a little. Yeah, I'm just so so glad that that's that's come up actually, Dave, because um, it's something you know, Winterbourne Review. I can't remember when that uh, that happened, but it was it was when was it? Help me out, guys. Was it um, five six years ago? Yeah, around about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the learning that's come from. Um, that and how how we how we use that within the curriculum and we of course we've lost many learning disability nurses you know the the, the courses for learning disability nurses have reduced so I'm sort of completely 
um, glad that it's been brought up. I don't know why. Um, we continue to face, just with COVID, if we've seen the impact that's that's been there for people with learning disabilities, um, it's been greater than other other sectors of the population. Um, I don't know why, but I know it's something that we are, that people are motivated to talk about as students. Uh, we've had requests from year three specifically to have more sessions around learning disability. And so, yeah, I don't even know if that answers your question, but I'm glad it's been brought up. Yeah, it's just to add to that, I guess, um, done it again. <laughs> vibe <laughs> i was saying winterbourne is 2012 lucy five oh, years ago <laughs> <laughs> i know i know <laughs> so, go on Warren. what we can say thank you well we 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 talked earlier about you know hidden hidden populations vulnerable populations and mm. you know the, they don't always have a voice you know a collective mm. voice and again you know it would be our, our job people like us people in our kind of helping professions to to, to pipe up and advocate for for those, yeah, um, hidden populations, I, I, I would attribute these issues to a lack of voice and um, uh, uh, people who, who are away from the public eye. Mm. And, and I think as educators as well, um, you know, changing attitudes, positive behavioural support is it is um, is where we're focusing. Um, learning more for mental health nurses, thinking about the the uh, function of behaviours, behaviours that we're seeing, and reframing those within reflective practice, and taking that learning into placement as well, and thinking um, with colleagues. You know, that's the benefit of working in nurse education. You know, thinking right across services about how we think about behaviours that we see. Um, and understand them within the context of learning disability and mental health, you know, how we understand those intersections. Yeah, I think as well, some people are taught that from like absolutely the first moment they really can realise anything that they are not worth worthwhile. And people imbibe that stigma within themselves as well sometimes. And so you, they don't know to ask. They don't have that expectation mm. because society keeps telling them and keeps devaluing them and you kind of just take it inside yourself which is a horrible kind of poison isn't it to have mm. Dave I can see there's more questions thank you Ben for that one uh, yes there is uh, so uh, Ohenoa uh, has said people would like to speak about their experiences but due to the stigma they are unable to speak out uh, Alfonso has raised the question in terms of a social justice youth development framework how best could we support LGBTQ plus youth and LGBTQ plus young students? Mm. I'm going to try and, oh, sorry, I was going to try and channel one of our groups from university last year if they were here, because they did a specific project um, around LGBTQI and, and the, the key messages um, but of course, it's, it's not a homogenous group. <laughs> um, there's there is much, much as there's so much difference um, within. So how because in nursing we we're always thinking about person centred care. You know the the individual experience and our own um, how we listen. So uh, so I, I can't remember the question now, but have I answered it at all? <laughs> It was about LGBTQI, um, particularly young people, and yeah. what we can do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about all sorts of groups. There's all sorts in Brighton um, who I would refer to as the experts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we... we, we um, yeah, I think that, again, it, it might um, boil down to creative ways of empowering people and giving, get, you know, giving voice to specific groups uh, that that maybe feel uh, that they don't have much of a voice. And just again, recognizing those basic principles of um, equity, access, participation, and acknowledging their rights. Mm. Jamie, did you want to add anything to that? Yes, I mean, we have these questions arising um, all the time. At least we 
the acknowledgement there is because people kind of experience uh, social injustices. Mm. Um, in a society as it is, we'll not be questioning people's gender any longer. People mm. should be accepted uh, mm. as what they want to be and be able to participate uh, in the society and in the communities that they live, regardless of their gender. Mm. Now, university, of course, we support that. Uh, we wouldn't want, one of our our principles, one of our values is um, no one gender is better than the other. Everybody is equal. Mm. Every gender is equal in participation in our in in our education and their participation is as important as anyone else. So why that question arises is the fact that if people may notice that, um, for instance, they, they feel disadvantaged, and this is what I was talking about, that participation. So when they come into the universities, what, are, what groups are there which are not segregated from any other group in the student groups for them to participate in? and feel welcome in the university. Mm. Because same as uh, we're talking about learning disability, is learning disability exists or disability exists when we are putting barriers in places. Mm. We should be able to, to limit the barriers so that people don't feel that they are that, that there are barriers because mm. of a particular condition that they are experiencing. Our institution has worked very, very hard in this direction in empowering everyone's participation mm. uh, in all our activities uh, in the university. Mm. I think where sometimes the, the wheels come off the pram a bit with this is that we've still got that legacy of people thinking that to be a good nurse is to be completely neutral and professionalism is sort of like this stony silence mm. when you can't have a society where people are well if people can't join into it. So mm. there is the real need for a framework, I think, as Alfonso said, and as, as you guys have all said, in that we need a strategy so that when people come into a situation, mm. they know, they can see from everything, from lanyards, maybe having the the, the rainbow on, maybe mm. that clear signposting for all the student groups that you can join. When people come to look at our our curriculums, they are looking at examples which feature all different kinds of people in all different mm. kinds of parts of society. And we're having these conversations because I think mm. one of the things, one of the things that's really important about a university is that it facilitates growth, mind growth. Mm. So some people will come um, to a university, maybe in their head, they think they've never met a person who is gay before. Yeah. Or they don't have very much experience with people who weren't born in this country if they've come from a place where it's very monocultural. So mm. being able to sort of safely allow people to express themselves um, and to, to develop, because the whole point of being at university is it's a process of becoming, isn't it? You become more yourself, who you're going to be. Mm. It's yeah. great to get a qualification. Mm. It's great to get professional identity. But it's really about mm. who you are and who you want to become as well. You know, it's like a paddling pool before you get thrown into the ocean of life, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Depends well, on, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so I think we do need to have frameworks in place to allow these kind of conversations mm. for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, we could relate that to, you know, uh, the, the principles of Paolo Ferreira and his mm. ideas about universities as cultural, democratic, political spaces to mm. help people to feel more, more engaged with the issues. Mm. Um, yeah, become more critically conscious, I think. It's the time ticking on. So let's get through some more of these questions, Dave. Come on. Call us to order. Okay. So uh, Desrina has said people need to be mindful of what they say and how they respond to certain situations because you never know what people are going through. Mm. Uh, Adrian said social justice should not just be a mental health nurse issue. It's the essence of nursing and healthcare as a whole. Mm. Advocacy and justice are key, ethical and moral principles. And without diverse mechanisms like positive discrimination, how else can we make sure inclusion and diversity is core to health? and society and then I think linked into that quite nicely was a comment from Rory uh, and that was about what role for nurse unions to promote social justice uh, and obviously you know absolutely uh, and I kind of think about the work that trade unions uh, and professional organizations are doing on social justice uh, and I suppose you know that kind of uh, piece linking into what Ben said earlier about trying to push for changes that hopefully will impact on 
all those in society that that face, you know, social injustice. Mm. Uh, I think one of the things that I, I find kind of quite interesting is the the difficulty that we face at the moment, where we've obviously got uh, a government and leaders in that government who are very kind of disinterested in social justice. Uh, and I think one of the examples was was it yesterday or the day before rushing from a, a lavish party where, you know, people were spending £35,000 for the opportunity to play cricket with the Chancellor to rush back to the Houses of Parliament and vote through a change that would impact on, you know, some of the poorest in society so they wouldn't be able to kind of save any assets if they were poorly later in, in life. Uh, and, you know, how that all kind of fits together. Uh, and, you know, if I had any hair left, I'd be tearing it out at some of the problems that we're currently facing uh, in society. I suppose in terms of working with the, the future, the, the leaders of tomorrow, the, the students that are coming up into, you know, the nursing professions, how do you kind of, uh, you know, fill them with that kind of passion to be able to go forth and demand social change, social justice change? Have you got any kind of thoughts on that one? Um, How do we live it? How do we? I mean, I thought I felt, I felt like Nikki sort of really um, that, that was very key what you said just now, Nikki, around safety. How do we create? We have to also be bold and we have to go into places that don't always feel psychologically safe. Um, I, and I'm sure we've all had experience of that, of, of needing to advocate for um, service users, for people we work alongside in sometimes very difficult situations and oppressive situations and it's how are we um I was thinking about Catherine Gamble then she talks about your lifeboat doesn't she about or, or she, she you know who have you got with you who can you discuss um social justice issues with who um can can help you critically think and reflect around what you're seeing and noticing in a way that then um, empowers you as a nurse to to confidently um, stride into situations where you are not always uh, uh, having an equal voice, you know, at the table. And you um, we are often in in forums um, publicly and clinically, you know, where we can sometimes feel quite frustrated at the lack of tinkering with mechanisms that will help. Um, realign some justice issues that come up for us every day I would say you know I was, I was talking to a substance misuse team today about older adults and substance misuse and the difficulty accessing um accessing uh detox detox services and how there seems to be this discriminate this discrimination for people older adults and what that's age you know that's under the equality act we know that that's uh, we're all striving to work within the Equality Act, and yet we've got systems in place that don't allow us to to, to move forward with that. But we we don't stop. We don't give up and go. Oh, okay. Um, let's just focus on the individual now. We come back together and we find ways of reflecting and thinking about theories that can help us develop how we communicate with systems. Uh, does that sound fair, Warren Does and Dave? Yeah, the I conversations say, that we have together. In in support of Lucy and responding to Dave's point, I think you know, the the drive is already there. Largely, yeah. you know, people are attracted to nursing, social work, psychology. I mean, you know, very often there is a sense of dissonance with these issues. Yeah. And it's really about helping people to develop their own voice and articulate that in a lot of ways. That would be my uh, response, uh, Jamie. Um, yes, um, just to add to that, I would say it's um, there has been a lot of um, there has been a lot of information out there in terms of um, social injustice, and if we mm -hmm. can even just link that to the movement, the young people's movement in climate change, that's also mm -hmm. a very good platform that young people have used. And in terms of uh, places around mental health for young people as well. Uh, and I'll link this in terms of learning disability being combined in mental health. In children's services now, in adolescent services, there has been this awareness uh, for nurses working there that they can do specific training as well mm. in areas of autism. And so that you can understand the conditions a lot, lot better. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, my personal view there, this is not supported by any theory, that the fact that I who may not really understand learning disability or someone's disabilities very much, particularly people with multiple disabilities. Mm-hmm. And as a registered mental health nurse, we have to attend holistically to them. I think I'll be limited. Mm. And this is my personal view. So our colleagues in learning disability, really, the fact that they are no longer uh, trained in that area, it should be an area that I think I would recommend that they look at again, particularly Mm. in the many years as we've seen, the level of the conditions around those areas that have increased as well. But having said that, uh, we also have to give them a voice. They have a voice. We are aware of these issues and uh, when they when they have access to our university and when they are with us, it's also that that platform is there. They can use it to share those information and empower themselves. Um, that is very important. And also, sometimes in some cases, we have come into there has been issues wherein we have to also work with the immediate listen to the immediate mom on that who makes a call. Of course, we do maintain confidentiality and we want that person to be an individual for themselves. But where it is necessary, sometimes we may listen to that call and just say, okay, I will talk to that individual. So mm. those are the simple instances wherein you can allow the person to be themselves and make decisions and be able to aware of how they can actually improve uh, mm. themselves. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to bring in the comment from Desrina, who kind of you know fed back on this issue. Uh, as a student adult nurse, I believe in order to understand how to tackle a situation, we must first learn the process. We should educate ourselves about social injustice issues. It gives us more understanding and knowledge about the topic. Also, we shouldn't just be learners, but also doers by setting an example, being a role model, and sharing ideas. So I think that kind of really nicely brings some of those themes together. Uh, Just on the issue of uh, learning disability nursing, uh, I've tweeted the story from Nursing Times. Uh, The University of East Anglia uh, this week has taken the decision to effectively end its learning disability nurse course because of a a, a drop in year on year applications. Mm. Uh, And I think, you know, that's really depressing, especially at a time when Ruth May, the chief nursing officer, uh, for England and Mark Radford, the Chief Nurse at Health Education England, had been kind of like doing a lot of work to, to promote the importance of learning disability nursing. And I sit on the learning disability nursing national group in England uh, that are kind of looking at some of these issues. So it's it's a really kind of retrograde step that we've seen there. Mm. Uh, I also just wanted to say a quick shout out to someone that's been posting on the Uniting Health Uh, Facebook page. Astrid's asked a a few questions tonight. Uh, I think one of them uh, that, you know, just if you've got a few seconds to share some thoughts, uh, does lived experience help or hinder careers? I can go. (laughs) Go on, Lucy. Um, I'd say it helps. Um, If I had a very short answer, I'd say that... um, and I, I don't know, I think I've changed over the years. I don't know whether I always would have said that. And maybe that's societal change as well. And But hearing um, from students, we have some incredible students with lived experience and and staff as well in Brighton. And use it and an awareness of um, how... Um, of how you experience, how you experience that how you experience the adversities that you experience, whether it's internal or external, and how you, um, we talk about post-traumatic growth, don't we now? We talk about um, how we we survive in recovery. We experience, we may have, um, when when an adversity comes our way, we will go into a survival mode and then, and then at some point we start to thrive. And that point may even be going to university or going, um, accessing education. And I absolutely would say um, our students that are brave and bring lived experience are re- really valued in on, on our course. Really positive thing to hear. I think mm. looking at how fast time has run away with us again, um, we're going to have to come to you for like your last sort of like thoughts. And so, um, Warren, do you have any lots of last ideas that you'd like to just make sure that we, we've got before we move to an end? 
Um, I, I, I guess it, it it sort of goes from the awareness to the understanding to to the doing something about it, really. And you know, I've said it many many times at careers days and all, but uh, I do love it when a student picks up a board and marches about an issue or protests or has something to say. You know, and we can all we can all do our bit to to influence uh, legislation or policy or, or just our, our colleagues' practice. And uh, I, I love that. Uh, that tweet, which was about um, taking it that step forward and, and being active about, about social justice issues. Yeah, I think it's really important to feel powerful and we shouldn't be making students feel like they're not powerful because they are. Mm. Absolutely, they are. Just look at the NSS. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jamie, is there anything you wanted to, to leave people with? Um, what I would leave everybody with is the fact that... Um, you should also, I mean, we learn from our experiences and our experiences tells us a lot about what are our needs and also be able to reflect on them and for us to be able to support each other in those experiences and work together to have a fairer society. Lucy? I think um, for me, it's, it, it's be okay with making mistakes um, and, and we're all, you know, there's so many people we feel uh, strongly this is a, an emotive subject and we won't all get it right all the time <laughs> and use that and and use your use reflection and, and groups and teams to come back to learning, taking learning from mistakes that we make and keep going. <laughs> yeah. Dave, anything from you? Nothing from me about tonight's episode, but just to remind everyone that obviously with our weekly episodes uh, next week, uh, we have got Paul DeBuff, who's going to be talking about trauma-informed addiction services. So obviously, you know, hopefully people will think that's a great topic to join in with next week at 7pm. So uh, that's my closing thought on tonight, Nikki. Absolutely. So this is a massive topic. So thank you to those people who've joined in tonight. Um, I think we're at the start of this conversation, not the end. We'll have to revisit it, I think, at some point. But thank you so much to our guests, Lucy and Warren and Jamie, for sharing their thoughts on social justice with us tonight. Good night, all. Yeah. Good night. Night, night. Mm -hmm.